Welcome to Working Towards Our Purpose, a podcast that offers a different perspective on what a job can be. For everyone out there that's heard that voice in the back of their head asking for something more, it's time to listen to it. I'm your host, Gino, and join me as I interview people who have decided to work in their own purpose. Together, we will learn, become inspired, and hopefully find our own path towards working in our purpose. Joining me today is Genevieve Paturo, who is an inspirational speaker, an author, a consultant, and the founder of Pajama Program, which is a nonprofit she started to give pajamas to kids who were living in shelters and didn't have any. Her book, Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, won the National Indie Excellence Award, and she was also featured on Oprah. Genevieve, I'm really happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm fine, you know, looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Me too. So why don't you tell us, uh, you know, to get started a little bit about yourself. I'm interested in like your background, your schooling, like what you did in the corporate world. I know you had a, a corporate career and uh, kind of just share, you know, whatever you feel comes to you. Sure. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in New York in a very, very traditional Italian family. Mm-hmm. So I know, you know, a little bit about that with your mm-hmm. name. You know? uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My dad came off the boat from Italy with his father he was 15. And of course, they wanted the American dream, you know, and, and my grandfather wanted my dad to get married and have a family in the United States and give them everything that he could. And so he married my mom, who was American, but Italian background. And they raised four of us. And I was the first born. So I felt a lot of pressure to uphold all the traditions. And there were most of them I loved. What's not to love about, you know, just hugs and kisses and great food and, you know, always having family around. That was all the good stuff. But my parents wanted me to get married and have kids. I felt that, although they didn't always say that. I knew that was expected. But I used to sneak down and watch Mary Tyler Moore and watch strong women. And I loved the idea of being on my own, maybe because I was, you know, the oldest and I had three to, to, you know, follow after me and looking up you know, to what I was doing and watching. And I was, I felt pressure to, you know, be a good example, but that was the the small part of me that was really leading me. You know, how can I be a corporate woman in a, in a man's world and make my way that way? So I followed that dream and it was a rocky with my, my parents, of course, because, uh, it, you know, through them for a loop, but I did that. And I went to Fordham in New York, and I studied communications, and I worked at WFEV Radio. And from there, I went on to do radio and then TV, and for 12 years, was in the TV world and went up to VP marketing. And it was an exciting life. It was exactly what I expected. But I didn't realize until a voice in me, when I had a quiet moment in my apartment, a question came to me from from here. I'm pointing to my heart because I know the difference between this and this now, the head. And I heard a quiet whisper ask, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? And it stopped me cold. And I realized there was something missing that if I kept going at the rate I was, workaholic, crazy schedule on my own, I'd be really tired and alone in 30 years. And yeah, the money was good and I had pretty things, but in a moment, you know, sort of like the light went on and I said, okay, but what is that really going to leave me feeling? And I realized that there were things in that tradition that I'd been raised in that would have filled that hole. And one of them would have been children. So I thought, how can I bring children into my life in the life I have now? And that's when I remembered 
a news report I saw of police and social workers sort of storming an apartment and taking the children out of a very unsafe, unhealthy um, scenario. And I said, I wonder if I can find where they bring those children in these cases and maybe visit with them. So I called the shelters. First, I called the police. They told me about the shelters. And I called the shelters and asked if I could come in at night and read to the children. And they welcomed me. And that's how purpose started to come into my language, because I don't know about you or about your listeners, but nobody ever asked me when I was thinking about what I wanted to do, you know, have you discovered your purpose? You know, that's important. That's your North Star. Never heard that word. And even later, I thought purpose was reserved for very special people, you know, the famous people who did something earth shattering and, you know, changed the world, like Oprah and Deepak Chopra and Einstein and Alexander Graham Bell, all those people. But I've learned, you know, that if, if I had a purpose that I found through that, what came next, everybody has a purpose. And I started reading in the shelters. And that's when I met the little girl that changed everything. So that's part one. And second part is, is so simple. I started reading to these children and I saw after I read to them the room they were going to sleep in. Now, this was an emergency shelter, so they were very safe, caring, loving caregivers, but it's not a home. Certainly isn't a home you'd know or I'd know or probably your listeners and viewers would know. So when I stared in that empty room with cots and futons and the kids just, they were in soiled clothes, whatever the police or social workers grabbed them they were still wearing unless there was something in their size at the emergency shelter just for 24 hours to put on. They were uncomfortable and, and they were wriggling around and some of them were crying, trying to fall asleep. And I thought, this isn't bedtime. My mom's bedtime for us flashed in front of my mind and kissing and hugs and snacks and story after story and giggles, you know, and tucking us in. And of course, we had pajama time. We had put on our pajamas and that's what stuck out to me. No pajamas. And they were trying to get comfortable in the clothes they'd been wearing for who knows how long. And I brought pajamas the next time with the storybooks. And after I read them, I started handing them out. And my world turned upside down when a little girl asked me quietly, what are pajamas? And I found myself trying to stay calm because I was exploding inside. I was just heartbroken having to explain pajamas to her. And the staff person told me she has no idea. She's never had pajamas. And that began this obsession that now, you know, that became pajama program 23 years ago. Mm. Thank you for sharing that whole story. I really love uh, the way you articulate it and, and, you know, kind of how you walk through it and so many, so many different directions I can go in that. But I think the first thing I want to talk about is, you mentioned early on, like when you first heard that voice in your head and, and you were listening to your heart, maybe instead of your head. And that's something that like I've noticed as of recent, since I've left corporate, the difference between the two, right? Because you can think your way out of anything, but like feeling something is is a much different feeling. And I think a lot of times as someone who is very in their head all the time, I used to be an engineer, you know, very logical, mm-hmm. analytical, like figuring out or or being able to feel the difference between that two uh, has been like a game changer as far as making decisions and going forward. Was that something that came to you easily or like, were you always able to kind of like make decisions with your heart versus your head? Was that something you were aware of? How, like, 
What was that like for you? Um, I think, I think it was split. I think looking back, there were heartfelt decisions in there, but I know I ran everything through my brain first Mm. and it was hard for me to trust what I wanted to do because my brain was telling me, you have a mortgage. You've been in this business for 12 years. Where are you going to get money to pay for your life? You're not going to get money for giving kids pajamas and you're going to get fired because you're doing all of this behind everybody's back and you're really a terrible employee all of a sudden. So you're not going to get away with this. So what are you doing? And so I felt that constantly, which is why I didn't tell anyone for months what I was doing. I was trying to juggle, you know, and in my book, one of the lessons is leave juggling to the clowns because you, obviously I made a mess of things. <laughs> and I, I really, I really had to find a way to switch the leader from head to heart And I think I just consistently followed my heart, even though my head was saying, you're crazy, you're headed for trouble, you don't understand. There came a point where it switched. And because your brain, our brains are smart, what happened, and I tell people this is what happens, your brain says, okay, I see, the heart's going, so I'm smart, let me help. And that's really what it felt like in time. So. It reversed. My my head still kept me smart, but it it was behind the heart. Does that make any sense? Mm, yeah, that makes total sense. I, I love the way that you said that. Um, yeah, it's almost like with a practice, your brain learns like, all right, I guess I guess we'll listen to this this other voice sometimes, and like yeah. <laughs> we'll help it where we can. That, that, that yeah, that's 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 really interesting. <laughs> um, so. Tell me what it was like to to balance the, the the both of them. Like you said, it was uh you were keeping it a secret, and same thing for me. Like I never told anybody about the side mm-hmm. business that I had, and especially when I was sent home for COVID and and like nobody was watching me, I felt extremely guilty for doing both jobs, two laptops all at the same time. Um, <laughs> what, what was that like for you, and and what eventually made you break? Yes, I get I get what you're talking about. But I was hiding in an office because it was years ago when there was no COVID and you couldn't bring your phone to work, which was the size of a shoebox. And I was lying. I was bringing in pajamas in suitcases because I was going to make a mad dash at lunchtime. And I never took lunch. I was a workaholic. I came in before everyone and I left after everyone and then I never took lunch. But now I was coming in late because I had to get to any store that opened at nine or earlier, took a long lunch and left early to buy pajamas and bring them to the shelters. And I was coming in with suitcases and just saying I was going to visit a friend for a weekend. I was staying overnight, you know, and nobody ever looked in the suitcase. So I thought I was okay. And I was answering the phone because not only were the shelters calling me that I was, that I knew about, but they were sharing my name with other people who ran shelters. So I was getting new calls and they didn't want to miss any of them. And my work was clearly deteriorating. I mean, because it was not a priority anymore. I was more concerned about saying yes to everybody who called and finding a way. So the bills were mounting. My work was deteriorating. I was giving no one an explanation and I didn't have anyone that I had to tell. But I did I did think it would come to a point where I'd have to tell someone and I needed some support. So I picked sort of a neutral friend. I really thought about who to pick because I didn't want anyone to get me in trouble who knew what I was doing, could get to my bosses. And I didn't want anyone close to my family, but I wanted someone who also was sort of a workaholic because I 
felt like maybe they would say, yeah, you know, I, I feel empty too. So I picked a friend, we went out for drinks and I practiced before I saw her, what I was going to say. And every time I practiced, it sounded ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm going to quit my job because I met this little girl who didn't know what pajamas were. I can't believe it. Can you believe it? I just, all these kids never had pajamas. This is what I want to do. And I just, I was hoping she'd say, I'll help you because I needed help. Instead, she knocked me down completely. I mean, question after question, valid questions. But to me, it was like she was stabbing me in the heart. Why are you doing this? You're not saving their lives. Can't you just do it on an afternoon on the weekend? You've worked so hard 12 years. How are you going to pay your bills? And it was like coming from everywhere. And I, I was, I was just, I was torn up because I knew that she had valid points and I had no answers, but I was heartbroken that she didn't feel what I felt, that this can't stay this way. We need to get everybody to help. So I clammed up again for more months. So that was really hard. That was really hard, really hard. One of the lessons that I I also teach is you've got to get your cheerleaders because making a change like that, as you said, is is lonely and you doubt yourself and you worry, you know, if you're found out, at least I did, that I'd be in worse trouble. So it was, it was really difficult for me. And then I just, I just tried again when I met a great guy who I knew that he expected me, you know, to be a, a two income relationship. And I figured, let me tell him before I get in too deep. And I said the same thing I said to, to the, my girlfriend and he said, I think you should go for it. And that was the first cheerleader and it felt really right. That's yeah, that's awesome. It it's so important to surround yourself with people who can, I don't know, see see similar visions or see like the good in you, I guess. Yeah. Or feel like you were saying before, lead with their hearts, but but so many of us don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the automatic reaction is the practical questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, figuring out like wh- why those people are coming from there has mm-hmm. been extremely helpful in not like personalizing those conversations. Cause I've had similar conversations when I first started and just felt stupid telling friends like what I wanted to do and then like feeling small and not wanting to do it anymore. But there's, there's such value in like being able to have a connection with somebody and they kind of like see where your vision is or like inspire you even more to, to keep going towards that. And I mean, for me, like networking has been a huge help in that. Like for a while I was doing stuff all alone and then I became part of this co-working place where I just met all these awesome people. And yeah, there's, it's so much help is all around you if, if you're kind of like open and, and willing to it. And, and also kind of being like intentional with who you share yourself with, um, I think is, is also kind of important. So, so what was the, the, the moment where you eventually did decide to leave corporate? I mean, it must've been a difficult decision. It was. Well, there was there was an episode at work where I was um, packing up some materials and I was supposed to go on the road and send the materials ahead of me. And my boss, who traveled a lot, which I was thankful for because that's why I got away with a lot, mm-hmm. he was there and he came over. And I, I mean, I was always on edge because I knew that other people probably noticed I was a different person and he might. And he just looked at what I was packing up. And in that moment, I saw the way I was organizing the materials, which was a a mess. And he just said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And my mind was like, does he know? 
Was he asking me the deeper question other than what are you putting in the box? And that was the moment I said to myself, and I didn't say anything to him. I said, I'll, I'll fix it on my mind just somewhere else. And I, and I knew then, and I had to have a discussion with him when I got back. I didn't tell him, and I don't know to this day if he knows about that, that moment, but I had to say, I have to do something else. And I didn't go into it, but coincidentally, the company was having some issues too. So I felt, okay, let me see if he'll buy me part-time to ease some of the financial concerns he had. And it worked. So I went part-time and that was, that was hard because that's a big salary change, but I didn't care, which was pretty selfish uh, on my part because by then I was with the, the, the man that I married and I put it all on him and I, and I, you know, through the rocky financial time, which was a lot because then I quit. I just always have kept saying to him, well, you told me to go for it. So, you know, now's the time you can, you know, you can help here. <laughs> and he didn't have a big paying job either. So it was, it was trying, it was really trying. But when I knew I was letting somebody down and that I wasn't going to go back and fix it, I had to come clean, sort of. I didn't tell him honestly, but I did back out. So I wasn't a, a disappointment to my my employer. Right. And and even to yourself, I'm sure, because it's, a, you know, your whole career, I'm imagining, because I was the same way, like you wanted to be a good employee. You wanted to do things well. And now all of a sudden you're not being a good employee and you're like almost questioning your own uh, integrity. And you're like, why am I, you know, doing this? But then you know, it, it's for other reasons. And, and, you know, like you said, you had to move on to something else. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, I blocked out the guilt because otherwise Mm. I I can, you know, I think all of us can carry guilt and do the wrong thing. And I, I blocked it out again, selfishly Mm. because I had work to do. I had to get the pajamas. So I I focused on that and I just put the guilt in in a little compartment in the back of my brain. Mm. Yeah. and, And even that word selfish too, I think is something that I think about a lot lately being selfish and being able to do what you think is right or, or, or to fill your own cup or to, to, I don't know, get yourself in a higher energy level. Like selfish has like a bad term, but Mm -hmm. if you can be selfish and get yourself into a position where then you can help others, then it's not really being selfish because in the long run, you're able to help more people than you would have anyways. Like that's, that's the biggest thing I noticed from corporate, like this huge anchor just came off of me and I was better to the people around me. I had time to listen to my friends. I was more in the present moment. Like that's yeah. kind of coming from being selfish. And I don't know, I, I guess, what, what are your thoughts on, on being selfish these days and that word selfish? Yes, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think we have to, we have to live our purpose and we all have one. And I think COVID showed us that more and more people are saying, looking back at their lives and saying, I did all this and almost lost. We didn't know if we were going to make it through. And I did a lot of soul searching and now I want to switch doing thing, you know, do something I really love. And it's sort of an okay feeling now, less selfish. But, you know, and I, and I teach this all the time, listening to your heart and changing what your path has been doesn't have to do with starting a nonprofit. It has to do with what you love, because as you said, that is contagious. How you are when you are doing what you're meant to do, what's yours to do, and you discovered it early or late, 
it changes your relationships. It changes your attitude, your vibration. It changes people around you for the better. You know, you can make a billion dollars singing and that's your purpose. And look how you fill the world with love. That's not nonprofit. The same with any anything you do, you're sharing something from your heart and other people feel it and you raise their vibration as well. So it can be anything. It's yes, contribution. I love that. And that's why I loved reading your book because it, it's, you're doing that, right? You're showing by example, like what you did to follow your purpose. And now you're inspiring other people around you. And, and even so, I know that you're, you know, doing more speaking and writing, you have a second book and kind of like sharing your story now and getting to that stage. What, what has that been like for you as far as like transitioning to, to be more of a, I don't know, sharing what you've done or, or who you are? Yeah. Well, I want to inspire people because like you and I, we changed paths. You know, we were already set for many years and it's okay to change paths. Just, just change if you want to change. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you want to do. If it sounds ridiculous to other people, there are ways to, to share and to find people who will support you. Cause we all feel like we're talking about alone and embarrassed and we don't know where to start. I had no idea what a 501c3 was until I got a non-slot of packages because of an article in a magazine and a letter came in that thousands of packages. A letter said, please send us your 501c3 so we can send you a grant. And I didn't even know what that was. And talk about feeling dumb and having to start to ask questions about that because here I am, I'd you know, given to some charities and I volunteered once or twice, but I didn't even know what that was and what it entailed. But I knew at that moment I had to do this to be responsible to all the people who were now trusting me with their, you know, their goods and their pajamas and their books for the kids and their money. So I tried to inspire people not to get stuck there and turn back. But if I did it, because I did it in a, in a messy way, but I learned a lot of lessons I want them to know it's not late and it's so, so worth it. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what would be the first thing that you would tell somebody who, you know, has has the list of excuses or, you know, the monetary reasons or thinks it's too big of a task? Because I think that's that's part of it too, is just it seems like this insurmountable task that you don't know where to start. What, what would you say to, to help somebody out like that? Well, first, I'm a jumper. So I jump, I still do it. And I figure out how to swim after I jump into the water. But there's a slide and there's a jump. So I've learned that. And for many people, a slide is either something to continue for the rest of their lives or something that will take them to a jump. But if they are, say they're in in a job that they like, but they love to sing or they love to care for animals or they love to do flower arrangements, whatever it is, but they don't think that they can make a living or as much money as they need then slide that into your life. And I teach that too. Even an hour a week doing what you love, whether you can do it hands-on or you can immerse yourself in the field, research, talk to people who've done it, find a way to bring it a little bit into your life every week. And that will change your whole attitude because putting it on the back burner and shoving it in the back is such a disservice to yourself and to your heart and to the reason that you're here. It's it's not giving it the the breath and the, and the light that it should have. So even an hour a week, and there's so many ways to get that hour in your week, will make you feel great. And other people will notice the change in you because you've given yourself this major gift. And if for the rest of your life, 
that fills you, then a slide it is. And if you find, whether you decide at the beginning, I'm ready for a jump, or you say, you know what? I like this slide. I'm starting to see a path, then great. And I can help you get there, but you know that, you know, that's where you're headed and it's a little easier to digest. Yeah, I love that. Um, cause it's, it's not just black and white. There's, there's many different ways you can go about it. And I was, I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday who I hadn't seen in a little bit. And we were kind of talking about this. And one thing that I was saying was like, just even just like talking about the thing that you're excited about or you're passionate about, like, can, you know, you, you tell somebody and you get a positive reaction and now you're excited about it, or maybe you get some feedback and it gives you an idea to do something else. And like, just even like communicating that or, or feeling comfortable enough to communicate with somebody and, and sharing something that maybe feels vulnerable, which leads me to like the idea of human connection and like meeting certain people who, you, you know, it's, there's like an unspoken thing about you. Um, it, it's something that like I'm noticing all over the place now. And you meet somebody and like another example, somebody that like I work with recently, like something that like I do that I don't really like talk about. I just like shared freely and I'm like, wow, I didn't really expect to share that, but I did because of this certain, you know, connection that you have with somebody. And I don't, I don't know, talk to me about like human connection from your experience and like how it's important for you. It changed everything for me. And, and it sounds like it changed everything for you too, because it's, it, it's, it was awful holding in this bursting energy that I had, whether it was frantic to try to get to these kids or the joy when I got to them and the little things that, you know, that I saw their reactions to the pajamas and things like that. It was awful not to share that. And when my new husband said, go for it, it sort of made me breathe. And of course I started to tell more people. And when you share, you find your people and not everybody has to be your people. There's certainly people who probably would say I was crazy to give up what I gave up and the life that I continue to lead, you know, isn't as affluent. I get that. And that's, you know, and that's okay. But when you find your people who are doing what they love and want to hear more and and ask you for support and let you into their heart when they are considering a change this is bond that that's created. And then you can show them and lead them to more people who will be supportive. And imagine if we all did that, we all shared, oh, you want to play guitar? Okay. I know some people, let me put you in touch with them. And those people have a heart open for the new person. It's just, it's just a magical connection that we, that we need that feeds us that should be more natural than we give it credit for. Because we're, as I say, we're in this together. And if I've learned anything and and it's my number one lesson, because people used to say to me what I used to think about other people, wow, look at one person, look what they did. Look at, at Oprah, she's one person, what a difference she made. And Martin Luther King was one person. And, you know, and all these people or everybody from, from a president to a scientist came up with that idea. Oh my gosh, Einstein was a brilliant, changed everything. But it's it's not, even when people said that to me, look at one idea, it's not. It's, it's not the power of one that changes anything. It's the power of one another that moves mountains and moves people. And that's the way I believe 
we get things done for ourselves and as a community. And that's how we give back. And that's how legacies are are started because people are left with the, the memory of this wonderful feeling about something that they were part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that too. Uh, I love the way that you describe that. It makes it, when, when you speak, it resonates with me a lot. And um, I think, I don't know, there's a, there's something in your book. Uh, that I remember uh, a section in your book where you're talking about um, not knowing how to get from like A to B, but just kind of like going for it and having trust. And then almost magically, like these things would kind of like pop up and, you know, it, it seems like a miracle or, or whatever word you want to use to describe it. Can you talk to us about that? Maybe give us an example of a time that that happened to you and um, your your thoughts on that now. Yes, it happens all the time. It's the way it, it's the way that it is. But we, some of us don't believe it. Some of us push it away because it just sounds like it, it couldn't happen to me. But I can tell you, it happens more and more. And it happened all, all the 20 some years and it still happens with pajama program. I have lots of examples, but I didn't, I didn't believe in that either. I call them coincidences, you know, my first life, I call it, you know, good things happen, put good energy out and okay, good things happen. Oh yeah. I'm thinking about somebody and then they call, wow, what a coincidence. That's a one-off, but things, things when you're on purpose, like the universe, the invisible God, everything you believe in, because if you believe we're not alone, when we're on purpose, which is the way I believe we were designed to be, things do happen. So for instance, in my book, I, I talk about at the beginning, I, when I had that letter from someone who said, I need your 501c3, and I researched it and I said, oh my goodness, this is a process with the IRS. I have to do this. I need a lawyer. Now, I did not have money. I didn't have a job. I was never a saver. So I didn't have money. And then I, and I had quit my job at that point. And we were in my one bedroom apartment and the boxes were up to the sky of people sending us stuff. And I said to my new husband and I, and I made a fist when I was leaving that day, I need to find a lawyer. Now I didn't say it on purpose. I didn't make a fist on purpose. And I left. I called him at lunch because on the way to the office, just an hour and a half later, I'm on the corner to cross the street in Manhattan and I hear a man call my name, Genevieve, Genevieve, is that you? And I turned and I recognized him, but I didn't know who he was. And he said, I'm Santiago, I'm Mary's son. Remember we met a while ago, I'm an attorney. Do you know, I couldn't believe it. He said, let's catch up. You want to have lunch? And I said, yes. And we had lunch and we caught up. I told him I needed an attorney because and I gave him the short version of the story. And he said, well, I don't do that kind of law, but I know somebody who does. And I was off to the races. And that happened. And to this day, my husband says, make that fist. When you need that, whatever you did in that moment, make that fist and you bring mm. it to you. Mm. Yeah, I like that. The, the physical action of something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and talk to us more too about like, I know you're a vision board person and like manifesting and like, you know, meditating on things, thinking how things feel, how how important is that in your like daily life? Uh, is it something that you always come back to? Is it something you like start with or what's it like? For yeah, you? always. I'm looking at my vision board right there and I change it, you know, at least once a year, the beginning of the year. And yes, early on, my number one cheerleader, my new husband, he said, you know, what would change things? Because of course it was a struggle with pajama program financially. And for me, just trying to figure it out alone with his help and 
you know, step by step. And he said, what would be a game changer? This was a couple of years in. And I said, you know, getting on Oprah. And he said, okay, let's meditate. And I said, I didn't even know how to meditate. And I said, well, everybody wants to get on Oprah. I think that's like, you know, crazy. And he said, no, let's go. And and he there was a park by us and we'd go there. And he he literally told me, sit down, close your eyes, picture, visualize, and tell God, the universe, whoever you want, you're open. Find a way, find a way to bring her into the picture, find a way to connect with her, sit quietly. And we did that. Now, at first I thought this is crazy. You know, my mind was winning again in that scenario, but I did it. I did it. It felt fun. You know, I pictured myself on her couch talking to her. And of course, you know, a couple of years later, her office called, her studio called and I got on the show. So it, it works. And that's, there are lots of other smaller things that happen that are on the vision board, you know, goals and things, but it's, it's a daily practice for me, the meditation and the visualizing. And like I said, I look at it, I'm looking at it now. It's everything from a picture of me little feeling joy because feeling joy as often as you can every day mm. changes your vibration, lifts you and, you know, and goals, financial goals, picture of the beach house I want, all that stuff, you know, and I, and I teach it. You got to, put up pictures that call you, that resonate with you, not just a picture of a Mercedes. Yeah, mm. look, look through, it might be a Toyota that calls you and that's the picture you need. Mm. Yeah, and, and what was it like when you finally like heard the news that you were going to be on Oprah and that thing that you had thought about and brought into fruition like was there? What, what was that feeling like? Yeah, surreal, surreal. You know, I, I go into detail in the book and people can watch it on my website, the episode but it was very surreal. And when they called, it was two weeks before from the first call to telling me that I would be on the show. I didn't tell anyone, not even my husband, that they called because they they kept calling and asking more questions. And, you know, of course, I was waiting to find out if they were going to say, okay, or, well, thank you very much. And I didn't want to tell anyone because the last thing you ever want is to say the show called and then have to go around and say, but they didn't pick me. And I did not want that. So I didn't say anything. And then she said, you know, we'd like to book you. And then I, I told just a few people, because again, you have to get there. They have to tape it. It has to go well. And there can't be any, you know, any turnbacks. So it was, it was surreal in, in the first part prepping with them for my appearance. And then actually on the show, which was really not how they prepped me because it was a surprise not to give it away. But that whole thing and what came after was more than a game changer. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And yeah, I'll definitely leave some links in the show notes so people can go see that video and you know get to your website and all that sort of thing. I, I do want to also ask you about um, certain things that like you've learned along the way. And like for me, reading has been a really helpful thing. And there's certain books that have like pretty much changed the way that I see the world or like changed the course of my life. Is there anything books or any other sort of things that you've like been able to consume and then it changed like your vision on thing? Anything that like stands out in particular? Yeah. The, the old books, you know, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, Bob Proctor's books on, you know, how your thought influences and his videos to this day, you know, he left us a couple of years ago, but about seeing things and it's your attitude, it's your feeling, 
your vibration that attracts things to you, whether it's good or bad, however you're feeling. Those those stories, those books, they knew, even Einstein is coming out now, Tesla, all these people saw things in their minds, felt things, knew, you know, knew that they could achieve, they knew they had to go after what they wanted to achieve because it was coming from some incredible force in them. And when you're guided and you feel this force in you, pushing you, pulling you to something, it's it's an incredible, overwhelming feeling to go that way. And I think people, you know, people have, have talked about it, you know, the secret. It's it's true. You know, I lived it and I wouldn't have believed it before, but I lived it and I know it's true. And and every time I jump and try something new, I have to get back to that and say, it's real. You know, don't get lost in the fear of something new all over again. Just trust that it yeah. was the right time to move. Yeah, that that that's a big one is fear. And, and I try to do that when I find myself going down those spirals of negativity, like thinking like, am I thinking about this from a fear standpoint or is it something else? And it's, it's almost always something being in fear. And then I can like recognize and be like, okay, well, that's just something that you're afraid of right now. You're not going to feel like that tomorrow. Just kind of like let it pass through you and move on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, even just like for me, the language of energy is something that like I learned from this book called the Celestine prophecy, which oh, somebody, yes. Oh, I love that book so much. I tell everybody to read it. I actually have multiple copies oh, that I look, give I'm to writing people. it down. Read it again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually just started it again and I was afraid. I've only read it one time and I was afraid to read it again because I didn't want it to be like less significant. Yes, but as yes. soon as I opened it, I was like, nope, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. And, good, oh, good. I love that book. Mm -hmm. Love that book so much. Um, yeah. So what what's next for you? What, what What are you excited about for the future? Well, more live speaking engagements because we're back doing live. And the reception's been great because I think, again, through and since COVID, people are more willing to speak their truth and find what they want to do and change. And and so it's resonating. And I, I'm, I'm able to feel like I can inspire people and they're ready for it more than ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel that as well. Um, just people getting like, you know, it's, it's almost like a society wide, like energy of like annoyance and like, just they're tired of it. They don't, they don't want to, uh, keep doing the, the previous way of living or, you know, yeah. wanting something more. I think that's, that's always the language that I've always used. Yes. like just wanting something more. Yes. Um, not enough. But, and this friction, because clearly it's a, you know, we're transitioning as, mm -hmm. as a human race to this foreign freedom that we were taught and some people still hold as not allowed, you know, as selfish and you have to play by the rules and the people who don't want to see the change are, you know, bucking the system and the people who feel like I don't have to do that anymore are, you know, are, are changing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's something that's very exciting to me <laughs> and meeting more people <laughs> who, who are, you know, existing out of love instead of, fear, I guess is maybe what it is. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, as we're coming, coming to the end of our time here, I always like to ask what, what does purpose mean to you? And, and in your own words, what is purpose? Well, I think definitely following your heart voice, 
and going in, you know, on my website, I, I have an exercise to find your purpose and, and start there. Because if, if you can take some quiet time and talk to yourself and be honest and write down what yourself is telling you, paper and pen, not on a computer, it can be an amazing revelation. And you discover things about yourself if you're honest that have been there for a long time that we just push away because it's not acceptable or we don't see how we're going to do it or we have to turn everybody else's life upside down if we make these changes or do this thing or say these things. But it's if we're honest, 100% honest with ourselves in, in our quiet, quiet moment, we'll find, we'll discover the purpose that we have that's that's unique to us. It can be a singer, like other people are singers, but you have your own voice. You know, it can be that you create a job that's doesn't seem that it's on anybody's radar, but you can create something. It's there. It's it's in there, but we've covered it up with mounds and mounds of doubt and fear and the way it's always been and what will other people think that we really need to take as much time if you can't take 90 minutes you know for this then then I, I don't know how else you can be real with yourself to start start giving it air to breathe start thinking about what you've discovered in those 90 quiet minutes and and see how ideas will come little doors will open little coincidences will happen and you know, people are always asking for signs. You know, I'm going to change my career if I get a sign. People always tell me that, right? And I, and I say the same thing to myself even now. I'll know if that's the direction. If I get a sign, if in the next two days someone calls me who's in that field, then that's my sign. And it'll happen. But it starts with being honest and saying, I would love to change. And I would. this is what I would love to do instead. Then doors open, signs come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being open to receiving the signs is, is the biggest thing for me. And, um, yeah. and even just like being curious too, for me has been this past year has been a huge word for me curiosity and just being curious with the things that excite me, even if it seems weird or like you can't see what you would do with it, just following it and being like, well, that's interesting. And then it leads you to another thing. And it's another thing like you're saying. Um, so yeah, it's free, right? mm -hmm. freeing, freeing. Yes, very much so. And yeah, the, the last thing, uh, if people really resonated with you, what, um, where can they find you? You know, what's your website and that sort of thing? Yeah, my website's GenevievePituro.com and you can find Pajama Program at pajamaprogram.org. Awesome. And I will definitely leave that in the show notes so people don't have to remember it. And thank you so much for your time and for your vulnerability and your stories and speaking about your truth and 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 sharing it and spreading it to other people because it's really making a difference. And like I said, I had no idea who you were until I found this book randomly in a bookstore. And the, and the words that you specifically chose for the title caught me. And it's it's been uh, nothing but positivity for me. So I, re I really appreciate that. Oh, you know, I'm so happy that you shared your story and that you're doing what you love and you took a chance. It's inspiring. And, and anybody that knows you, I'm sure, is feeling that positive change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a great reminder. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
Thank you for listening to Working Towards Our Purpose. If you liked today's episode and are interested in more, you can sign up for my Substack newsletter with the link in the show notes where I share thoughts, tips, and ideas that I'm learning along my journey to help inspire you. The show was produced by Pleasant Podcast at pleasantpodcast.com.